Hi, this is Anthony Esposito from the infamous Ace Freely Band. Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. Hi, this is Bruce Kewley. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Hey everyone, this is Dave Menachetti from YNT. This is Dave Starr from Wildstar. What's up, this is Doc Coyle from the band God Forbid. Alright, this is Jason from uh, Kings of Modesty. What's happening? This is Jeremy Goldberg from Age of Evil. Hey, what's up? This is Joey Z from Life of Agony. Hey, what's up? This is Mercedes from Kitty. I'm Rasmus Bluberg from New Keepers of the Water Towers. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. Hey, this is Steven from I Wrestled a Bear Once. Hey, this is Tara. And this is Ivy. And we're half of Kitty. Hey, this is Wolf from the Chariot. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hi, this is Robert Flashman. Hey, everybody. This is Bobby Rock. Hey, this is Zach from Nonpoint. Hey, this is Frank from New Revolution. And you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Robbie Crane from Rat, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Go get them. Hey, what's up? This is Joe from Misery. Hey, this is John from Misery. Hey, this is Dale Lorenzo from Hades, nonfiction, The Curse, and my horrible solo music. You're listening to my boy Victor on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Guy from Avon, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Keep rocking. Hey, this is Ron Bumble from Fall of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter. Uh, hey, what's up? This is Liam from Cancer Bat. Hey, what's up? This is Jose from Bonnet by Blood. Okay, this is Patrick from Heaven Below. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attack. Welcome, one and all, to episode number 14 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I am your host, Victor, and during this episode, we'll have two interviews. We'll have one interview with Jeremy Goldberg from the band Age of Evil, and we'll have an interview with David Rhodes from the Australian band Airborne. Uh, What we'll do, as usual, we'll split things up, play a few tracks from each of the bands before jumping into their respective interviews, and then from there, we'll finish things up with additional songs from each of the bands. So we have... Quite a few new things lined up in the coming weeks have been jam-packed with interviews this specific week, and uh, we'll be heading off to the Sonosphere Festival this weekend. Hopefully we'll be able to wrangle in one or two different people to see if we can um, get a few interviews down and add to all of the fun stuff that, uh, that we bring you here with the Mars Attacks podcast. In any event... The Jeremy Goldberg piece was recorded, um, if I remember correctly, at the end of last year. I actually aired it originally on Mark Striegel Radio earlier this year. Uh, check out Mark Striegel Radio. We're uh, updating new content all the time. You can hear new songs from Black Label Society, Soilworks, um, and a bunch of other bands that we've just added. New Halford, as a matter of fact, as well. Um, so we're the station's actually all over the place, and we're actually adding new content all the time. So, uh, in any event, the track behind us is called "Get Dead." It comes off of the "Get Dead" EP that um, Age of Evil released late last year. Album consists of a few original tracks, some cover songs, and some live tracks. Uh, we've decided to sort of stick to the original tracks this time around and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to transition into another song called Cruel Intentions also off of the Get That EP and uh, we'll play that song for a bit before jumping right into the interview with Jeremy
the phone, we have Jeremy calling in from Arizona. He is the lead singer and guitarist of Age of Evil. What's going on? And um, we were just talking a little off-air, per se, uh, about the EP that just came out, uh, Get Dead. And um, I'm assuming that this EP is more or less going to be a taste of what to expect with a full-blown album. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we recorded the EP in between tour dates when we were in Europe. Um, we actually didn't know that it was going to be an EP at the time. But once all the songs came together, we felt it was the right choice. And, uh, you know, uh, coming into, into the end of 2009, it was a good decision. And then in 2010, we should be having a full-length album that we are actually uh, in the works right now. We probably have 11, 12, 13 songs um, come close to wrapping up. And right now, it's about the technicalities like uh, producer and funding and stuff like that, stuff that we don't like, want to think about. Um, but yeah, we're really excited about this, this new album. It's really, really cool. Definitely the best Age of Evil songs that we've ever written. It's definitely um, going to blend that line between heavy metal and rock and roll. It will have a little, little bit more of a rock and roll edge to it, um, but it will still sound like Age of Evil for sure. You'll, you'll be able to tell it's us. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's great, great stuff. Okay. When you say rock and roll, do you mean going more towards a uh, like hard rock sound of maybe someone like Motley Crue, or would we expect you know full out rock like uh, I don't know Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> no, not like that. Um, I mean, maybe more like uh, I don't know, um, maybe like Van Halen or Guns N' Roses. Okay. I mean, it, the songs won't necessarily sound like that, but they will have more of that edge to them. Okay. Um, it'll still be mixing heavy metal. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it's, I mean, I think when everyone hears it, everyone's going to really like it. It's not your cool. typical stale and overdone like radio rock or anything like that. Sure. Um, so it, it's it's definitely fresh and unique. So so we won't expect to hear you uh, sounding like uh, Chad Kroger or anything like that anytime soon. No. <laughs> no, not at all. All right. Um, the last two albums I noticed were put out on your own label, uh, more or less. Uh, are you looking to shop this new album? Uh, two labels? Are you looking to put it out uh, yourselves? What 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 do you have in mind at the moment? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's definitely um, uh, you know in our in the back of our minds, put you know shopping out to the labels. But the thing is, we realize that we're young. And we're not really in a rush to make the wrong decision. And okay. we would rather have some power when we go into these labels and uh, have some power to, to um, you know, make change, uh, you know, agreements and contracts and stuff like that rather than just, like, sign our souls away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, there's definitely a big buzz going around about us. And, you know, um, you know, the best thing that we can hope for is, like, a bidding war or something like that. Sure. But, um, it, yeah, it is important to us to have that machine behind us. I mean, yes, we have done all of this pretty much on our own, and then recently with the help of Chipster, mm -hmm. um, which has been huge um, for us. So, I mean, the the label thing really comes – I mean, that is really helpful when it comes to touring and stuff like that. So I, I would say that we do need it, but um, I think we'll – you know, be looking into that more in in the second half or early first half, or I mean, late first half of 2010. Okay, uh, I mean, on on a positive note though, that does allow you to pretty much do whatever you want with this album and really show yeah. what you guys can do without 
again, as, as you just mentioned, being pigeonholed into being some type of a, you know, modern radio rock band. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And what we'll probably do before the full-length album is release a couple of singles mm-hmm. um, and just, you know, push that out to everyone, see how they like it, see what the reaction is, and then um, go ahead with the full-length. And what's cool about the full-length, though, is um, there's all different kinds of songs on there. Right. Um, all kinds of metal for every kind of metalhead or rock and roll fan. Okay. Um, it's not going to sound like one long song. There's just literally, we have a song for everything. I mean, we have, you know, your straight up heavy metal stuff. Um, songs that are a little bit more like, I, like I've been saying, rock and roll edge. Some, um, a little bit of maybe a power metal touch in, in one or one of the songs. Um, some of the songs, um, might sound, uh, have an influence of like John Oliva's pain or you know the sabotage stuff, or okay. it's very dramatic orchestral stuff like that. Um, some a couple slower songs, not necessarily ballads, but a little bit slower. Um, so just everything, and I'm really looking forward to it. So it should be cool. cool. Yeah, sounds sounds really cool. Absolutely. Um, how did you guys hook up with Uve uh, Lulis? Uve Lulis, um, you know we do you know him by the way? No, I just saw that he was mentioned on the EP, and I figured I'd bring oh, it okay. up. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, we when we were in Europe this summer, we were there for two months, and we have a, a label out there in Germany, actually, called Evil Eye Entertainment. Okay. And they hooked us up with Uva, and he was the sound, en- sound engineer, um, and he mixed and mastered this EP, and we recorded in his studio, which was actually – we, we did this in Germany, by the way – um, which was actually an old World War II bunker, huh, and no um, it was it was very eerie and it was very metal. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, he was telling us that like 900 people had died in there all at the same time, like in an instant when a bomb dropped. And so um, it was just it was very weird to record in there. But I think it, it it helps with the vibe of this of this album. It's very you know the album's heavy and thrashy and very metal. So. Um, it was cool. He was a great guy. Um, hopefully he'll be coming out to the States and we'll hang out with him here. But yeah, it was a pleasure to work with him. He was in, um, a band called Gravedigger and he's in a new band called Rebellion. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. Whose idea was it to cover Skid Row and Judas Priest? Um, I have to give credit, um, to Skid Row, to Garrett, our drummer. And actually, uh, Electric Eye goes to him too. Basically, they're great. Uh, the Skid Row is a great story, but I'll start with Electric Eye. Um, we were playing in London a year ago with Girl School, and knew that the audience there would would um, like our original songs, but they wouldn't necessarily know them sure. quite well. So we wanted to play a song that we thought that they would appreciate, that that they would remember us by. And if we're if we were in in London, we thought what better than play a pre song. And sure. Electric Eye was uh, is a classic pre song, but not necessarily one of their like humongous hits. Right. Um, so we thought that was perfect for us to do, um, and we got a great crowd response. Knew that with our tone and our vibe, that it would be cool recorded on on an album, and so we knew that that about a year ago. And then um, the Skid Row song, actually, um, we had one day off in the studio while we were in Europe, and we didn't know what to record. And uh, our drummer Garrett said, um, "Let's play Slave to the Grind." And we didn't know how to play it, so um, I, I took out my phone and I had it on there, and we listened to it a couple times and just learned it by ear. And then about an hour later, we uh, recorded the song, and Garrett went in, did one take on the drums. It was so slamming that we 
said you're done, you don't need to do anymore. The guitars are pretty much one or two takes played all the way through. Um, and then I was reading the lyrics for the first time while I was singing them. So um, that song was just balls out uh, last minute, just, you know, push it 120%, see what we can do. And I think it really sums up what we're all about. Yeah, definitely. Both songs came out really cool. Yeah. On the yeah. previous album, on um, Living a Sick Dream, you guys yeah. worked with Marty Friedman. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, Marty Friedman. He he uh, played on the title track called Living a Sick Dream, and we do have a music video for that if anyone wants to check it out on YouTube or anything like that. Um, basically, our producer, John Herrera, at the time, he had worked with uh, Marty on a previous project um, and, you know, thought that he would send Marty the track just to see if he, if he liked what we were doing. And, um, and then Marty played on it and he really dug the song. He shreds over the whole song. I don't know if you've heard it, but very tasteful, tasteful licks and really cool stuff. And um, then he, after that, he basically said in a quote, um, summed up that we're upping the ante, uh, of metal of the future and that was in 2007 when we were you know 14 15 16 years old right so for marty friedman of, of i mean megadeth cacophony to play on our first album when we were unknown was just like so you know we were so taken back by it and him and jason becker were huge influences on me and jordan when we were really young and just starting out you know learning music so i mean that it was amazing and hopefully We'll um, get to meet him when we go to Japan. He he recorded the tracks in Japan and then sent them over. That's um, but yeah. That th that's that's really cool, and it's really cool that you guys mentioned both him and Jason Becker because obviously a lot of people nowadays don't mention those Cacophony albums as much as you know they did maybe twenty years ago. But yeah. they're they're landmark albums, and you know yeah. unfortunately due to what happened to uh, Jason Becker. Yeah. You know, it obviously isn't in the spotlight as much as it probably should be. So sad. Yeah. It is. But he still writes music, which um, is good because, you know, that's in his blood. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they the two of them are just so great together. Um, and, you know, they're some of the best guitarists in the world. So Absolutely. And some of the best guitarists of all time. Yeah, of all time. That's right. <laughs> Any uh, special guests uh, you're looking to have included in the upcoming album? You know, um, I don't think that we're going to have anyone in the upcoming upcoming album. Um, just because, you know, right now we're still fine-tuning, you know, our sound and stuff like that. And just want it to be all about, all about Age of Evil on this full length. Um, but there are some people that I definitely could see working with us or that we would like to work with, with in the future. Mm-hmm. And I, basically three people come to mind because they all have very different and unique styles to them. Okay. Um, and I'll explain them a little bit. Um, uh, I mean, for me, Rob Halford of Priest, um, he, he just knows he has that traditional metal. Um, you know, he knows traditional metal very well. Um, he's a great vocalist, obviously. And I'm sure he can, can work with us on stuff like phrasing and melody and stuff like that. That would be awesome. Right. Um, another person that comes to mind, uh, guitar playing wise, would be Nuno Betancourt of Extreme. Okay. Um, and he adds a whole different vibe to, to to metal by playing some of that more groovy, funky rock and roll stuff. He's an amazing guitarist, um, and a big influence on on me and Jordan. And then 
another person that I could also see is John Oliva of Sabotage, and we toured with with them um, this summer in Europe. And he brings uh, more, you know, he does the stuff for Trans Siberian Orchestra, right? And um, he brings more of that dramatic um, vibe to it, where you know the lyrics are very you know deep, and there's a lot of keyboards and pianos and and stuff like that, and it's just a whole different sound. Um, and I think that would be cool too with our music. So you you'd be looking to have them sort of help you out with the arrangements and such, not so much actually partake in the album or sing on the album? No, either either way. I mean, I would just love to work with any of them in any aspect. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that we're we're going to um, necessarily, tr- you know, really try to do that, but it would be awesome if we if we could do that. Sure. Um, yeah, whether it is, is working on songs together or if they guest appear on songs and stuff like that, um, I, would, I just think it would be awesome to work with any of them. Cool. Well, Halford has been known to uh, guest on all types of different albums, so you never know. Yep, yep he has. Uh, how has touring gone for guys like you? Being so young and all, has there been anyone that has tried to take you guys uh, under their wing or try to uh, give you sermons as to what you should and shouldn't do uh, while on the road? Um, I, I don't think so, man. I mean, pretty much when we uh, were on the road this summer in Europe, we, it was, I mean, just the four of us in Europe uh, for 60 days, and you can imagine four teenagers in Europe. Sure. Um, <laughs> it was a lot of fun, We, um, but we do take this very seriously, and we always joke that we learned um, from people's mistakes in the 80s, and, um, you know, I think that we're pretty, pretty level-headed, and, uh, you know, when we tour, um, you know, live shows to us are super important, one of the most important aspects in a band because if you can't play your songs live, then you know, then no one's going to want to come see you, and that's where right. the entertainment value is, is seeing a band live. You can listen to the album all you want on your iPod at home, but if you want to be entertained, you've got to go to a show. And so you know, when we're touring, um, we really focus on being able to play the songs as good or better than our albums and really make sure that um, people can hear that and that, you know, we change a lot of things live because everything translates differently live, the way we pick stuff, the way we accent things. And, um, you know, we pretty much, you know, learned it, I would say, on our own and just experimented with different things. And, and you know, um, but at the same time, we, uh, we also like to have fun. And we had a lot of fun when we toured with John Oliva. And, um, and then we played with Tesla in Switzerland and we toured a little bit with Soulfly. Um, and yeah, I mean, no one really took us under their wings. I mean, we had a lot of fun with all the, all the guys, but, um, yeah, we pretty much are just, you know, figuring it out on our own, which I, which I think is the best thing to do because then we get to put our personality into what we do and, and not someone else's. Sure. Absolutely. Any, uh, groupies in Europe? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I would say so for sure. Um, you know, that's the best part, man. <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, any um, females from specific countries that come to mind? Any countries better than others? <laughs> um, Germany definitely comes to mind. That's where we were the most. Uh, we were there probably out of the 60 days, we were probably in Germany, uh, 45 of them. Okay. Um, we were in a, an apartment in Frankfurt. And so, you know, again, four of us in an apartment in the heart of Frankfurt in the city. I mean... <laughs> Right. Yeah, it was all a lot of fun. That's all I can say. Right, right. I could imagine. Um, any plans on coming back to the festivals here in Europe? 
Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's always a, a plan for us. We pretty much just go where the hot spots are. I mean, really, what we want to do, uh, what we're focusing on is definitely touring in the States and, I mean, basically all of North America, Brazil, Canada. Um, but it's always uh, a plan for us to do uh, the festival circuit in Europe. It's always great. The fans there are really cool, and everyone appreciates music and heavy metal a lot. Right. Um, and, you know, depending on the circumstances, it's very different than in the States and uh, and stuff. Uh, we tend to see that here in Arizona, usually um, when you get a lot of people going to metal concerts, it's something big like a Rockstar Energy Tour or an Ozfest or something like that. Right. Um, not quite as many people at local shows, which is hard, but, you know, you got to start somewhere. And, um, sure. Yeah, we just we go where the hotspots are, try and and make everything um, as you know as useful as possible. Like when it, you know when it comes to spending money and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. Is there any plan to tour behind this EP, or are you guys just focusing on the album right now? You know, um, we are definitely planning on touring behind the EP. We we should hopefully be announcing something pretty soon for the end of January um, on a couple dates with a cool band. Um, I can't really say, unfortunately, I can't say anything yet. I'm okay. sure you'll get an announcement from Chip. Sure. Um, and then, uh, you know, so basically, yeah, in 2010, we're just focusing on touring and a new album. It doesn't really matter for us whether we tour Get Dead or another album, as long as we're touring. It doesn't matter what album we're playing. Okay. Just as long as we're touring. So, um, yeah, I mean, those are our two main focuses. Okay. Is there anyone you'd like to go out and tour with outside of the uh, mystery uh, uh, band that you can't mention yet? Is there anyone that you'd love to either tour with again or someone that would be your dream tour? Yeah. I mean, for me, a dream tour would be Iron Maiden. I saw them when I was maybe 14 or 15 years old, um, and it pretty much changed the way I thought about metal. Um and, you know, they, I, I just couldn't believe seeing these guys running around on stage playing that music so well and, and their stage show and their presence, and they, they all are great guys. I would, I would absolutely love to tour with Maiden. That would be my dream tour at this point. Cool. Um, a couple other bands that, I mean, come to mind that I think would be kind of cool to tour with, um, we're friends with all of them except for, um, except for Blackie is uh, Wasp. Um, you okay. know, definitely more of an eighties band. Um, and the guys are really, really cool. We've toured or played with them, a, um, a number of times in Europe. I mean, I think it might be cool to play with them in the States. Uh, but you know, we, the thing about us is that we really like to, um, to play for kids our age, um, because we have played a lot for the, um, in Europe, especially, you know, the old school thrashers. And that's, I mean, we love that. It's awesome. Right. But it's also time to, to play for kids our age also, which we haven't sure. done a, a whole lot in Europe at least. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, but we like playing to both, to both uh, crowds. So either sure. way for us works. Cool. Do you guys uh, hear a lot of comparisons between – Age of Evil and other newer bands um, due to maybe playing styles or due to maybe just the age being uh, close to one another? You know, I mean, we don't really pay attention to that stuff, honestly. We, and we really don't even listen to a lot of newer music that much. 
we pretty much just stick to, you know, things from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and okay. a little bit in the early 90s. Some of the some of my favorite albums are actually from like 1990 and 1991. Right. Um, like Painkiller and Cowboys from Hell and um, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, we don't really pay attention to that stuff. We don't care too much what's going on. Um, it, I mean, we know a little bit of, uh, of a few bands here and there that are um, you know helping the the revival of metal. Um, but yeah, we don't like to compare to anyone or um, anything like that. It's not really you know what we focus on. We just focus on us. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what we do. We don't really listen to the radio a lot, especially Jordan. He pretty much just plays guitar all day. I mean, that's like literally <laughs> what he does. Um, he's not into technology or computers or anything like that. He literally just plays guitar. Wow. Um, no that's kidding. That, yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. Speaking of playing, what gear are you currently using? Yeah. For us, that's uh, it's very very simple gear, but it, it I mean it's basically um, the best sound that you can get in our opinion. It's you know uh, an old vintage Marshall. I play a JCM 800 from 1982, and um, Jordan plays a JCM 900, and I play a Gibson Les Paul Custom and other Gibson Les Pauls, and that with the Marshall for me is like the best rhythm sound you can have. Jordan plays. Um, uh, Jackson Custom Shop guitars and Gibson Les Pauls, and then my brother plays, you know, the Ampeg, you know, Classic and SVT2 and SVT4 Pro, and he plays Jack- Jackson Custom Shop basses. They're sponsored by Jackson, and um, that's pretty much it. And then Garrett um, plays DW drums, and you know, it's very important to us when it comes to taking out guitars and amps and drums, because there are so many things that affect your sound, like wood. Um, and strings and weight, the weight of the guitar, um, you know, all that stuff, the fretboard, everything, and, um, you know, the tubes in your amp, you know, the the, the uh, speakers in your cabinets, and we really take that super, I mean, very seriously, and Jordan has an amazing ear for that stuff, and hmm. we just stick to the basics. Uh, we don't have a lot of um, other stuff going on. It's just very raw and straight up. What um, pickups do you have in your Les Paul? Is it stock pickups, or are you using something else in there? You know, I have a, a Les Paul. It's called a Classic Custom, and okay. it's kind of it's um, you know, it's mixing the classic and the custom. And I use the stock pickups in that because they do sound amazing. But in my in my custom, I use Seymour Duncan pickups. Um, and Jordan, I believe, also uses Seymour Duncan um, too. Any model of Duncans in particular using the Becks, using SH4s? Um, I think that on my Les Paul, I'm using SH6. Okay. Um, on the bridge. Uh, I don't I don't know what Jordan uses. He just got a brand new neck pickup from Seymour Duncan. That sounds amazing. I, I don't know what model it is, actually. Um, okay. But he's also very picky on his, on his pickups. Um, I mean, I, I would probably update mine. I've had the SH6 on there since I've had the guitar probably three or four years. Um, but it sounds really good. And, um, you know, the thing for us is when it comes to Les Pauls, um, we don't believe in putting an active pickup okay. on it. Um, because I think that really just takes away the tone and vibe of the guitar. Right. So that's important to us. And that's um, something that Marty actually always said. So you don't put an active pickup on a on a Les Paul. I, I believe that's what he said. I'm 
I hope I'm quoting that right. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we learned that from from him. So yeah, I mean that's what we use. Yeah, I mean very, if very if you if you put as you're saying, you know, like EMG 85s or 81s and pretty much anything, they sound alike. I mean, no no knock against those pickups or those sound, but you know you could practically put them in a cardboard box and they'd still sound like, <laughs> you know, EMG 81s and 85s. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people, um, these days, a lot of kids their age are really into the EMGs and that's fine. They, they, I'm sure they're cool. Um, but you know, for us, we like to have a little bit more of an old school sound right? and we don't want to put too much of an, of that modern edge in our equipment. Right. We pretty much just stick to the older gear. Jordan has, a 70s, a beautiful custom shop 70s Les Paul. Um, it's one of the nicest I've ever seen, actually. And um, we just stick to the old gear, man. I mean, if it, if it ain't break, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, you know, for us, that's the best sound. We're not really up, up, you know, into the newer gear. How often do you guys run into any of the other bands from that um, historic uh, Arizona scene? Um, you know, uh, we run into the Sacred Reich uh, drummer a lot here in Arizona, actually. Okay. Um, you know, David Ellison actually just came out to one of our shows from Megadeth uh, F5. He just came out to one of our shows, and that was really cool for him to come out. And he was totally blown away. Um, so uh, we run into him a lot, actually, too, at parties and shows and stuff like that. Um, who else? Uh, we've run into one of the guys from Flotsam. Jetson, um, mm -hmm. at Guitar Center, uh, you know, Garrett sometimes sees Max from Soulfly, uh, just all kinds of people. It's, it's really weird. Um, but especially in LA, I mean, there, that's where you run into everyone. Sure. Um, and we're going to be at NAM in a couple of weeks, going to be in LA for a week, week and a half. And then I think hopefully on that tour that I was mentioning before. What's happening? This is Jeremy Goldberg from Adrian Bull, and you're listening to Mars Attack.
there we go. We have a little bit of Living a Sick Dream by Age of Evil, the track that also features Marty Friedman, ex-guitarist of Megadeth, obviously, somewhere off there in the Far East, recording a bunch of different solo material at the time. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that segment. want to thank uh, Jen and Chip over at Chipster PR for helping set that entire spot up. And uh, moving on, what we're going to do is get into a little Airborne. If you've been living under a rock for the last few years and have not heard of Airborne, they are a band from Australia, have drawn a lot of comparisons to ACDC. And, um, you know, I actually mentioned this to Dave during the interview itself. I honestly think that uh, Running Free, Running Free, that would be Iron Maiden, <laughs> Running Wild by um, uh, by Airborne is to me one of the best uh, ACDC sounding albums that's come out in the last 20 or so years. Um, in all honesty, you know, they, they should have used that album as their blueprint for recording Black Ice. Now, I know there are people that are going to disagree with me and whatnot, but whatever. <laughs> Send me an email or, or write a, a post up on the uh, up on the blog and let me know your opinion. I honestly think that Running Wild is a pretty good album and the uh, new album, No Guts, No Glory, is pretty good as well. Um, Dave is going to talk about the album touring and all the usual kind of stuff. And um, we throw a few different questions in there regarding uh, Joel's behavior up on stage, uh, certain things that he's known for doing while they play in concert. In any event, what we're going to do is start out with a track that um, is on the new album, No Guts, No Glory. The name of this track is No Way But The Hard Way. The song is currently up on Mark Strugel Radio. has also been used in several other uh, episodes of Mars Attacks Radio, not the podcast. This is the podcast. In any event, you can go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to find out all about the radio show and all about the podcast and everything else. We'll touch upon that later on in the interview. In any event, here you have Airborne with No Way But The Hard Way.
Recently, you guys played Download, and I heard that there was a Killjoy that stopped Joel from playing his guitar solo. Uh, yeah. How did that all uh, come about? Oh, well, you know, you've had a lot of outdoor festivals and stuff. Joel will go off in, in some of the songs and climb the truss or do something crazy. And, you know, it's always spontaneous what we do on the moment. You know, every show is different. And just Joel climbed up the... Uh, right up to the top of the truss at Download and um, the promoter or whoever was there on stage that was in charge at the time freaked out and cut the power on us and that was in Girls in Black so we all just, yeah, until he wouldn't put it back on until he come down so we all went, kind of went off stage and Joel climbed down and the crowd just started rioting and, well, you know, just kind of protesting and booing the promoter and all that kind of stuff so... Right. And then they, they turned the power back on just in time for us to kick back in and finish the song off so it actually... All in all, it uh, kind of added to the show, and it was just, it, um, it was really good, actually. It made it a great show. Right. And had they not have seen Airborne before, to not see that Joel has done that in the past? <laughs> well, yeah, we have played it before. Like, we played Download back in 2008, but um, I don't know, it could have been a new guy that hasn't seen us, and, you know, it's, because um, it is a bit of a, you know, I guess it can piss off a lot of promoters at festivals and stuff, the whole public liability thing, but it's just, you know, it adds to the show, you know, there's, rock and roll there's no there's supposed to be no boundaries and no rules of rock and roll you just right. you know it's just kind of do what you do on the day you just sort of go for it so it isn't as if before you guys went out on stage joel said today i'm gonna climb such and such a thing it just sort of happens spare of the moment it happens spare of the moment yeah i mean he does climb the trust at a lot of festivals but um you know it's not really a thing we all get together and plan it's just something that he mentally plans out himself and subconsciously just knows what he's going to do. <laughs> right. The first time that you saw him do this, what went through your mind? Yeah, I guess I can't remember the first time now because, you know, we do, we've been doing that for so long now. But uh, I guess we thought, wow, you know, he started off, I guess, when we were playing smaller type festivals and was doing stuff like that. He's always kind of gone out and, and you know, entertained the crowd in solos and stuff. And I guess it's just something just kind of grew and grew and he just started climbing higher and higher. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I guess it does worry us in a way, but it's, we all trust him. He knows what he's doing. And in the end, it's kind of, you know, just it all adds to the show. But there is a bit of a danger factor there, but that kind of adds to the flavor, I guess. Sure. Have you ever contemplated uh, joining him up there? Uh, no, nah, mate. We're the rhythm section. We're, we stay back on stage and keep it tight so it doesn't, <laughs> fall, so, so it doesn't all fall out. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so... Your debut album was a very successful album uh, around the world. Was had a lot of songs that were played uh, off of the album as well on on radio all over the place. Um, how much pressure was put on you guys to uh, repeat that success with no Glo no guts no glory? Excuse me. Um, you know there is always a little bit of pressure, even just with anything like that. You know we take it we take what we do seriously. That. that it's when we're off stage and behind the scenes we don't take ourselves seriously, but we take our craft seriously. So I guess, uh, you know, the second album is a big, uh, is an important thing because, you know, you got to, your first album, you have a lot of time to write your first album and then, you know, and that's just showing the world what you're about. And then um, I guess in the second album you've got to just show people you can do it again or better. Right. So, um, you know, we don't, we don't take it for granted. When we're in the studio, we, know, we, just, we just stay true to what we're doing. You know, we have our boundaries and, we keep it simple, rock and roll, and with a few, you know, we obviously there was a, it was a still different than the first album, but you just you can't venture too far from your 
from your craft and you've got to stay true to what you're doing and just keep it simple and and um you know like i was saying before um we're our own critics in the studio and we wouldn't release it if we didn't think you know if we weren't 100 percent happy with it right okay so, and- yeah so, 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 like the old adage goes, uh, eighteen years to write your first album, six months to write the second one, right? Exactly, that's right. Yeah, a lot of the um, second album was all written on the road because, you know, you get a lot of time to write the first one, and once you get out on tour, and you, you, the only time is riding on the bus or in sound checks on stage or in the hotel, and but you know, it's kind of it's that's probably when you're most creative that way as well, I guess, because you're you're traveling around, you're seeing different places, meeting different people, playing with different bands. And it's just kind of, you know, it's sort of, sort of lifestyle. So, um, yeah, a lot of that, a lot of ideas are just written on the road. And, and we, at the end of the second album touring, we kind of got home to Australia and spent a few months in this, back home in, a, in an old derelict pub which had closed down. And we uh, just had a few months putting it all material together. Mm-hmm. So you guys write the majority of the material on the road and just pretty much take that. In this case, you took it to the pub, sort of refined it before actually going into the studio. Yeah, pretty much. Well, the only time we get to right now is on is on on the road, and we've still got lots of ideas that we've had, we've been carrying around with us for years now that we um you know we never throw anything away. We keep it in the rock bank, and um you know we might uh we bring it out on the table later on when it comes to a third album or a fourth album, and we might you know dissect riffs from another song that's not working and add to that. So we've got lots of ideas and material there, you know, and just you just you just never stop. You just keep writing as much as you can and coming up with ideas. Right, right, right. Well, I, I mean, obviously, with you guys so busy being on the road, you got to make sure to uh, s- sort of catch those moments while you can put them down and then, you know, bring them back up in the future when you actually need them. Exactly. That's right. That's, that's how we do it. That seems to work the best. So the this, the songwriting process for, for this album, I guess, just started when you guys hit the road for the previous tour? You just guys started collecting things and... Uh, really, it isn't as if you guys sat down for you know a month, wrote the album, and went into the studio. It was just sort of a a continuous process that started at you know maybe a year or two ago, and you guys just collected things you know sometime last year to record this album. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, there's even stuff that were you know right back before um, recording Running Wild, we had lots of material then that we just didn't you know just didn't happen to be working at the time to put on the first album, so we reviewed it. For a second time, when it comes to No Guts, No Glory, and you know, you just you know, we're better as a band from all the touring we've been doing, and you just think of better ideas and get a bunch of songs that are working the best. And and there's also spontaneous kind of writing in the studio as well on spur of the moment, like Diamond in the Rough off Running Wild was a a song we just kind of come up with just from stuffing around <laughs> in the studio when we were laying down the drum tracks and we we're just you know jamming out in there and come up with the riff of Diamond in the Rough. So there's a lot of that that goes on. You just you go in there with your, you know, your, it's like it's like a three-step process. Um, well, especially on this one, we went home and spent a few months in the pub writing the um, a bunch of songs, right. and just kind of recording them down roughly. And then we went to the hot house studios in Melbourne where we like to do demos and uh, just polish them up a bit better. And then the final step is going into the studio and laying them all down. Right. Okay. And touching on that whole. Uh, studio aspect you guys worked with bob marlette on the first album and johnny k on this album and they're two fairly predominant producers that have worked on a lot of big albums um what differences are there working with these two producers and what did you personally take away from both experiences uh well i guess with bob 
on the first album, that was the first time we'd worked with a producer and we learned a lot off Bob because he's been in the industry for a long time and, and he's worked with a lot of bands and I think recently he just did Leonard Skinner's new album and so he's he's been around, he's he knows a fair bit so we learned a lot off Bob and, and with Johnny, uh, Johnny was more of a guitar producer, he loves his guitars and amps so we really honed in on tones on the second album and and Johnny was great because he's a lot younger guy than Bob and he was like a fifth member of the band. He really got in there with us and we just had fun with him and like fun making the album. So, um, and he's done a lot more modern kind of stuff. You know, he's done some successful um, American bands and so he's still got that, you know, that diehard passion for what he does, Johnny, and that's great to work with a young producer for that for those reasons. Right, right, okay. And um, was there something before going into the studio that you wanted um, to do with this album as opposed to the first? Did you specifically choose Johnny because of, say, the guitar tones in this case? Or was that just part of the total package that you guys were looking for someone to give you a little different sound than what Bob had perhaps done? Um, we just kind of, I mean, when it comes to choosing producer, you just you get a few on the table and you just meet with them and just see how you connect with them and, you know, and pitch the ideas of how you want to uh, record the album and just, you know, if they're on that same wavelength and and excited about the way you want to do it, you just, that's the way it kind of come about with us. We were really keen on just doing it all analog and, you know, doing it live and Johnny was really excited about that. He had a tape machine in his studio and because uh, I know some producers are a little bit dubious on recording for tape because it is a lot more work and it's a lot more tedious. Right. But um, Johnny was really, yeah, he was so excited about doing it the tape and and just recording it live. He was just really up for just being adventurous and doing lots of new things. So we thought, cool, you know, he was a great, and he had a he's just moved into a new studio in Chicago, which is like this five-level studio. Some of it was under construction still, and and some levels were already finished. And and we got lived and all the facilities were there to live in the studio while we were there. And so that's how that came about with Johnny, and yeah, it was turned out really good. Okay, and was that a prerequisite of, you, of the band to actually record the tape as opposed to going a digital route? Yeah, exactly. That's that's what we're all about. You know, it's um, we wanted to capture what we do live as a band on stage and just incorporate that into the album. The only way to do that is to play live as a band and do it the tape. And and you know, you know, when you listen to your old, your favorite classic bands, you listen to them on 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 vinyl, and it's just there's something about it that just still captures that live sound. And because a lot of those bands all record together, you know, as one in the studio and right. to do it separately it just doesn't come out the same and you know, and that's we just wanted to create that atmosphere again and put it under the put it onto the album. So that's what we did. And I think Joel was watching a DVD on Status Quo once and it just went behind the scenes of what they did in the studio and they all just kinda of sat around in a circle playing together and that's where you just come together as a band and, and capture that energy and so we thought, you know, why don't we do that? That's when we play best anyway, is when we're all playing together. Mm -hmm. So we did it, did it the same way. And and that way you also don't have any issues where you can't pull any of the songs off live either, because how many bands, as you're saying, you know, record separately, do all this studio wizardry, and then they get up on stage and, and they can't <laughs> reproduce half the stuff. Exactly, yeah. If you can't play it live, don't record it. That's right. You know, we don't do double tracking and stuff. You know, we... We just try to keep it. I mean, because we're all about what we do on stage. That's where our true passion lies, is playing live, right. playing to live audiences. So, you know, we try to not to venture too far in that aspect. So if you have no guts, no glory, don't look for any of these uh, Pro Tools cuts that you can hear in all these <laughs> modern albums. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> 
Both those are good for making demos. <laughs> <laughs> um, how many of the new songs uh, have made their way into your set? Uh, quite a few of them. You know, we try to. It's it's a longer set we're playing this time around because we're still trying to chuck a lot of the, uh, you know, songs off Running Wild as as well as all, and trying to play as many off the new album as well. So we've, you know, we've, I think we're playing around an hour and a half, sometimes longer now, and so we're trying to do majority of both albums in the set. And we jumble it around a bit as well, like songs like Still Town, you know, that's for the working class kind of town, but mm-hmm. just that song goes down really good in towns like that. So we uh, we kind of just, you know, if we're playing those kind of places, we will chuck that one into the set. So and there's always, you know, we change the set on stage as well. If we just feed off what the crowd's doing, and we might drop a song down. Let's give them this one instead because the crowd's going to go on wild for it. So we'll give them a faster one. Cool, very cool, and something you know, again, as you're saying about going back to older bands that really, you know, sort of maybe influence you guys, things that aren't common nowadays. You know, you, you can read someone's set list online now. You go to see them, and it's the same damn thing every time you see them, you know, so that's... It's, yeah, like the same generic thing the whole time, and, yeah, you've kind of got to just... It's a spontaneous thing again, you know, you're changing on the spur of the moment. Gotcha, gotcha. And you guys are playing all over the world. You guys are in Spain right now. You're going to be playing throughout Europe and, and whatnot. Um, a lot of people don't realize this, but when you're traveling so much, you can't take your rigs absolutely everywhere. There are some limitations that you do have when you travel. Um, yeah. What do you take with you? Do you take a guitar or two, some pedals? Uh, do you guys rent out the rest of your equipment? What usually takes place when you guys go from festival to festival? Uh, well, we take a pretty extensive you know, a lot of backline with us, with a lot of marshals. There's no pedals with us. It's just all, okay. all guitar straight in the amps. But you know, we're, we're pretty powerful with Paul Marshall in the UK. So he really looks after us when we come over to this side of the world. You know, he, mm-hmm. we've got backline in some of our lockups. You know, back in Australia and then some in America. But when it comes over here, he hooks us up and we try and take as many with us out on the road. And you know, it depends on what sort of stages we're playing on. We try and fill them up with all just backline of marshals. So. And uh, but I guess yeah, it is expensive. You know, we we just we just kind of fly with all our guitars and stuff. And I guess with the recession and all that kind of shit going on now, it's some um, airlines are charging you know just horrendous amounts of money for excess baggage and all that. So they, we get stung pretty hard with that. But right, you know, so but it's it's definitely handy being friends with guys like Paul Marshall. Though he helps us out a lot over this part of the world. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, what do you have up on stage? What's your setup for your guitar? For uh, well, tonight. We've, on a bigger stage, we're running something like six stacks of sides, so that's 12 cabs of sides, 24 cabs all up. And um, I'm just I'm just playing through uh, JTM 2000s, 800s. We've got JMPs. Uh, we've got the Kerry King 800s as well, which are pretty cool, mm-hmm. just on the on the clean setting. And uh, yeah, you've got Ampeg, two Ampeg, um, what's it? Yeah, two Ampeg amps on the side, SVTs, and, and drums in the middle. <laughs> Gotcha. And you play usually what, an SG or an Explorer? No, I'm all, I'm all, I'm all Explorers. I used to play an SG and throw them in the rough sometimes, but I'm all just sticking with the Explorers now. Okay. So got the, um, yeah. Do you have anything specific done to them, or is it all you know the hardware that comes directly from Gibson? Oh, yeah, I've customized it a bit. I've, um, I don't like the white scratch plates that you get them from the shop with, so I'd rip them off and put black ones on. And, and uh, my tone knobs, I might sometimes chuck gold ones on them and and sometimes the tuning keys are pretty shitty, especially on some of the SGs. You get those. Uh, I always I like the Grover ones. They're yeah. pretty pretty solid and pretty durable. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we're forever kind of swapping pickups as well. You know, we'd, we would see more Duncan, and at the moment I've got 59s in most of my explorers, but you know, I've, lately I've been wanting to try these uh, Seymour Duncan Fat Cats, which is the version of the, the P90. Right. And uh, so, yeah, we, we're just doing a little. And on Joel's Explorer, he's much the same. He's, he's got a 59. He's, he swaps around a bit as well. And and his tone knob, he's got a VB bottle lid, which is one of our favourite beers from back home on one of his uh, volume knobs. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and then there's, other than that, they're very battered and bruised from being on stage and beard and sweat soaked. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 they're customized in your own hands as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're not we're not much for new guitars. You know, it's just. I mean, we love our finished guitars, but it's sometimes hard on stage. We're trying to save them for the studio and 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 all that. So um, you know, when it comes to you know just to find a new guitar, it just feels like it's got no soul to it. You know, it's kind of you've got to build character about it. Right. Right. I got you. Yeah. And and I mean, unfortunately, as time goes by. Uh, you know, the wood isn't the same. The stock that a lot of these companies are putting out now isn't as good as maybe what it was 10, mm. 20 years ago. So yeah, they're not, it's, yeah. once you get something you're comfortable with and you really like, I mean, what's the sense in switching up the wood and everything else? So That's right, yeah. I mean, it, there's a lot more factory line going on than hands-on putting together these days. That's a, that is a bad thing, kind of. Yeah. So you just got to hunt around and look for those, those little diamond in the rust. What's it like playing in a brother band? You hear so many different brother bands that they're all types of fights and this and that, but you guys yeah. all go back way back. We go back a while. Joel and Ron have been playing since they were kids, you know. It's, right. And I guess, you know, we all moved to Melbourne and lived there for a few years together, so we're all like a bunch of brothers anyway. We're all we've right. become a family, so there's never major fights or anything like that. We all get along really good. And, you know, brothers are brothers. You always have. I've got a brother back home. When I get home within a week, we have a little kiss. It's just the way it is. But, but no, we're all pretty good. There's never any punch-ons or anything like that. <laughs> well, between the band and crew, we all we've got a great, you know, touring family together. We all get along really great. Cool, excellent. And um, with the touring, you guys have been playing with a bunch of big name acts. Has there been anyone that you've been, you know, very excited to see? At one of these festivals, has there been anyone that sort of intimidated you when you've met them for the first time? Uh, not really, no, but I've loved, uh, we've been playing with Slash's new band on a lot of the festivals. That's been awesome. We had the pleasure of meeting him at Download and a bunch of really nice guys, and their band's cool, really rocking what he's got going now. And, and we also supported Aerosmith in London just the other day, and I'd never seen him live. I think I hadn't seen him live before, so. And um, so to see them was just amazing, you know. Just at their age now, they're still playing like they're like they're our age, like they're in their youth again. It was just the atmosphere right. was great, really awesome band. Cool. And you guys actually also had Lemmy appear in uh, the video for Running Wild. How difficult was yeah. was it to get him to uh, agree to do the video? Uh yeah, we kind of got the name made ahead. We toured with him in Australia. It was, it was us, Rose Tedder, and Madehead back in 2007, and so we got to know the band and their and their manager and. When it comes to the running wild clip, the concept of that was just we wanted to get a just a rock guy to drive the truck, and you know the, the face of rock and roll. It was it was an easy choice. Lemmy was the guy we wanted to ask, and he lives in LA. He wasn't on tour at the time, so we pitched the idea to him, and he was more than happy to come down and help us out. Cool. That, that's very awesome. I mean, that video is so neat just to see you guys playing in the back of the trailer there and having him <laughs> just driving the uh, truck along there. Very cool. Yeah, and we gave him a little. Uh, appearance on the uh, cover of No Guts, No Glory as well in the truck there. Right. Um, 
you guys have also had songs featured within uh, various uh, WWE pay-per-views and video games and and all types of other video games of sorts as well. Um, is that something that the label does for you guys? Is that something that you guys have actively pursued as fans of either wrestling or games? How did how does all that come about? Um, that's pretty much gotten you know that's the label pitching those ideas to us, and you know it's it's all adds to establishing the band. So you know that it's a privilege to have get your songs on video games and and on the wrestling, especially for Breaking America. You know things like wrestling and NASCAR goes down great in those countries. So. Right. And being on the video games, yeah, that's just um, it's just the way of the world now. You know, you just it, in any way you can to get your music out there is, is just is a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny how, you know, with the advent of um, you know these guitar heroes or rock band or whatever, that the bands are all for it, and you have a lot of fans that are sort of upset that they're seeing you know their favorite bands doing it. But nowadays, I mean, MTV doesn't really play anyone's videos, or if they do, you know, it's few and far between so as you're saying you know it's sort of the nature of the beast now if you know that's what works and gets you introduced to new fans younger fans whatever you know you just sort of got to go yeah. with it. that's right yeah like in the music industry is well you know it is evolving so to speak it is it's gone through a transitional stage now and it has been for the last couple of years but but you know it's all about if you can get the young audience that's the key you know because then they'll be your diehard fans for the rest of their lives and you know, if kids are, a lot of kids play video games, and if they're playing games such as Guitar Hero and stuff, it's getting them into rock and roll, and right. if it brings them down to a show, that's that's a great thing. Absolutely. De- definitely a, a plus for you guys or and anyone else that's, you know, been able to take advantage of that. And I'm assuming that you're seeing that in the crowds as well. You're probably seeing all types of, you know, various generations of people checking your music out as well. Absolutely, yeah. There's a broad range of age groups in our audience. You know, there's people... Yeah, dudes from in, in their fifties right down to you know eighteen and younger. Right. Uh, they come to the show, which is great. You know, dudes are bringing their their kids with them, and it's just great to see. Right, right, Ab- absolutely. And um, does it get on your nerves to hear people compare Airborne to other bands? Nah, not at all. It's um, every band's got their influences, and you know, for any band that comes out this day and age, you're going to be compared to somebody and. Right. You know, there's a big lot of ACDC and a lot of Motorhead, Rose Tattoo influences in our music, and you know, but that ACDC sound, that's that's the Aussie, that's the Aussie rock and roll sound. You know, there's a lot of bands that are just are in that kind of vein of rock, and right. You know, it's um, it's always a compliment compared to such a big band like that. So, you know, at the end of the day, we just love playing what we're doing, and it's kind of you either like it or hate it, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, could be worse, right? You guys could be compared to worse bands, so being compared to ACDC <laughs> isn't, you know, all that bad. That's right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's funny because I actually uh, caught a lot of shit when Black Ice came out saying that the uh, the best um, ACDC-sounding album to come out in the last 20 years was Running Wild. So I had a lot of uh, ACDC fans in an uproar uh, cursing me out. But uh, I, I, do oh, honest- yeah, I do honestly think that, you know, it's a very good album. And the track you brought up, Diamond in the Rough, is actually my favorite song off of that album. So it's actually cool to be able to hear that, you know, that just sort of came together in the studio. So... Oh, cheers, mate. Thanks, Steve. G'day, this is Dave from Airborne, and you're listening to me, Martha Pack. Big rocket.
everything and, and give me the opportunity to interview Dave. Uh, for those of you not keeping track, it was a hell of a time getting airborne here to Spain. Joel had gotten sick one time that they were here, and the second time that they were supposed to come, uh, the volcano in Iceland erupted, so they weren't able to uh, do some of the shows that they had lined up. In any event, it's great to uh, hear that they were able to come play Barcelona and play the Afkena Festival here in uh, Vitoria in Spain. And uh, hopefully I'll be seeing them towards the end of the year when they finally play Bilbao after uh, a bunch of retries and restarts or however you want to put it. Uh, in any event, I want to thank you, the listeners, for listening to the podcast. Uh, once again, if you want to check up on previous episodes, just check out MarsAttacksRadio.com. All of the interviews are there. Uh, you can listen to them directly off of the website, or you can download them and listen to them whenever you'd like. Um, we still haven't been able to get on iTunes. If there's anyone out there that is... Uh, you know, with Apple that could possibly help out. I would more than welcome you contacting me. Send me an email at victor at marsattacksradio.com. Been working on this for months and still haven't been able to work things out. Hopefully in the near future we will be on iTunes and you'll be able to subscribe to the actual podcast via iTunes. Um, in any event, we're going to wrap things up with Diamond in the Rough, which is my favorite song by Airborne. We discussed it during the interview. Uh, thanks again for checking this out, and we'll see you next time right here on Mars Attacks. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> 